Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship on this final uh, Sunday of uh, October. Uh, three quick reminders before we begin. Uh, tonight at five o'clock, we're having our family service called The Gathering. Also as a part of that is a trunk or treat uh, outing. So bring your children, uh, wear the costumes, and we're gonna do a reverse trunk or treat. Uh, also uh, this Wednesday night, uh, there are two uh, opportunities for you uh, on Zoom. The first is uh, marriage and family therapist Jim Schleicher will complete the relationship series. Um, and we'd love for you to, uh, to join. Jim is a Woodmont member and has been uh, in counseling for over 40 years. Uh, so that's this Wednesday. And then also I'm going to have uh, Dr. John Gear from Vanderbilt. He's a dean and a political scientist uh, and a professor there. And he's going to analyze this current presidential election. We've had Dr. Gear uh, a few times uh, in recent years. And so we'll have him back this week at 630. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, join me for a word of prayer as we begin. Loving God, open our hearts and minds that we can hear a word from you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're continuing this fall sermon series called Common Ground, Unity in a Polarized World, uh, reminding ourselves that during this election season, where things seem to be tense and divided and polarized, where we are stressed, uh, we have to remember that there is still more that unites us as Christians than that divides us. It may not feel like it sometimes, it may not feel like it right now, but it's true. And as Christians, one of the things that unites us is our belief in Jesus Christ and our willingness to hear his teachings and try to apply them to our lives. And so we have been journeying for uh, the past several weeks through the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the most well-known passage of Scripture uh, in the Bible. And uh, many call this the core of Jesus' teachings. And so we're looking at this passage and we're asking the question, uh, how can we be more unified uh, as people of faith and how can we apply this to our lives? And today we come to a set of verses that often makes us uncomfortable uh, because Jesus is dealing with the subject of money, possessions, and priorities. And I've told you many times before over the years that Jesus did not talk and teach about money because he was trying to raise money. He wasn't trying to raise a budget for a church. He wasn't trying uh, to build a new chapel or uh, have a capital campaign. Uh, Jesus talked about money because he knew without question that it was the number one false idol in life. And he knew that it would become and still is a false god for so many people back in the first century and again in the year 2020. And so Jesus never shied away from the subject. He talked about it often. He, he talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. So many of his parables deal with money and, and, and possessions. And so we all have to wrestle with this because whether you have a lot of money or a little bit of money or just enough money, this is a universal reality that we all have in common because we have to deal with money on a regular basis. Think about the presidential debate that took place uh, this past Thursday uh, here in Nashville, right down the road at Belmont. They talked about money. 
They talked about taxes and, and what is fair and, and what is too much. They talked about stimulus money and what the government should do to help people out during this coronavirus pandemic. They talked about corruption. Uh, they talked about money and influence coming from other uh, foreign powers and getting involved in our elections. They talked about health care and how much it should cost and how to make it affordable and, and how to make it accessible. Money is a universal reality that we all have to deal with. Yet, too many people in our society worship money. Too many people in our society spend all their time thinking about money and how they can make more money. Too many people in our society don't have enough money to, to, to pay their basic bills, to take care of their children and their, and their families. And so Jesus knew all of this was true, and, and, he, and he talked about this subject often. On our uh, uh, fall break trip that we took as a family, Last week, I started reading a, a new book uh, by a guy named Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi Sachs is a British rabbi. He's a public intellectual. He's written over 30 books in his career. I've followed him for a long time. But he has a brand new book out that I would recommend to you that's called Morality. Morality, that's the title of, of his new book. Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times. And, and in this book, Sachs talks about a lot of very important topics that we need to be thinking about as people of faith and also just as a culture in, in general. But this is what he says at the very beginning of the book. He says, a free society is a moral achievement. Societal freedom cannot be sustained by market economics and liberal democratic politics alone. It needs a third element, morality. A concern for the welfare of others, an active commitment to justice and compassion, a willingness to ask not just what is good for me, but what is good for all of us together. It's not just about us or me, it's about we. It's about us. It's not just about me and I and what I want. Sachs continues, he says, the market will be merciless. Politics will be deceiving, divisive, confrontational, and extreme. People will feel anxious, uncertain, fearful, aggressive, unstable, unrooted, and unloved. They will focus on promoting themselves instead of the one thing that will give them lasting happiness, which is making life better for others. People will be, by historic standards, financially rich, but emotionally poor. Freedom itself will be at risk, and the far right and the far left will both not completely get it. The far right will dream of a golden age that never was, and the far left will be dreaming of a utopia that never will be. Jesus knew these things. Rabbi Sachs knows these things. Arthur Brooks, who wrote the other book that I recommended called Love Your Enemies, he researches happiness up at Harvard at the Kennedy School. He knows these things. But the question is, do we know this? Do we understand that happiness and meaning in life comes when we try to make life better for other people? It comes when we stop focusing just on self and we start asking, how can we help others? How can we provide opportunities for others? Jesus was asked, uh, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two things, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. So back to our text for this morning from Matthew 6. What is Jesus trying to say in this passage? I have four thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. The first is we all must learn to distinguish between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. You know, we all love our treasures on earth, our houses, our cars, our iPads, our patios, our porches, our our clothes, our shoes, our flat screen TVs, our newly renovated kitchens. Some people have a lot of treasures on earth, others don't. Many people think it's fun to compare treasures on earth and and to see who has the nicest, the biggest, the newest, the greatest. Man, that's a fun game. You got a new BMW? Well, guess what? I got a new Tesla. How do you like that? Your family went to Dollywood for fall break? Well, well, our family went up to, to Nantucket. But do we stop and ask, what are treasures in heaven? What's he talking about here? He's talking about the things that give us meaning. Relationships, service, sacrifice, being a loving spouse, a good parent, a true friend, going out of your way to help somebody who's having a really hard time, doing what's right when nobody is looking, supporting the church and other entities that are trying to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Treasures in heaven are typically the things that don't have price tags. And so what Jesus is saying is that if all we do is focus on our treasures on earth, and then we just compare those with others, we're missing something. We're missing what life is all about. Why did Jesus tell the rich young ruler to go and sell all that he owns and give his money to the poor? It's because the guy was defined by his possessions. It's not because possessions are bad or uh, everybody needs to get rid of them. It's because this guy couldn't see beyond them. He was known as the rich young ruler, the rich young man, and he was defined by his possessions, by his stuff. You know, my old uh, friend and mentor, who was a longtime member of this church, Clayton McCorder, uh, Clayton passed away a couple years ago, but I used to laugh because Clayton would say, you know, I've got some friends and I'm convinced that they've figured out how to take it with them. Uh, they've got so much money and they're not giving it away. And so I think they've decided they're just going to take it with them to heaven. But guess what? You can't. You can't do that. There has to be a balance between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And Jesus was very much concerned about treasures in heaven. Secondly, this morning, Jesus is very clear that in life, our heart always follows our treasure. In verse 24, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And guess what? This is not just a Christian truth. This is not just a verse that, that preachers uh, you know, pull out when it's stewardship time or when there's a capital campaign or when you're trying to raise money. This is a universal truth. It's a human truth. Wherever we invest our money, our heart and our allegiance follows. Think about it. You invest in the stock market, you're going to pay attention to how the stock market does. You invest in your children's tuition, then you want them to learn and grow. 
You invest in Woodmont Christian Church, then you're going to care if this place is healthy and thriving. You invest in relationship counseling, then you're going to want your marriage to improve and and get better. Uh, If you invest in a political candidate, chances are you want that person to win their election. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I didn't know you and I wanted to find out what's most important to you in your life, I could ask for your bank statement and I could look at where you spend your money and that would tell me what's most important to you in your life. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, money talks. But the question that matters is, what does it say? What does it communicate? What does it tell the rest of the world that we prioritize and that we value? If your money could talk, and it does, what is it saying? Thirdly, we all get to choose our priorities in life. Nobody can choose that for us. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I think Jesus is simply saying that we choose our focus and we choose our attitude. Nobody can choose that for us. You remember Viktor Frankl? He was the Austrian psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz, the Holocaust. Do you remember what Frankl said? He said, everything in life can be taken away from you except for one thing. And that one thing is how you're going to respond to any given situation or circumstance in life. Everything can be taken away from you except for how you're going to respond to anything that happens to you in life. We choose our priorities in life. You might lose your your marriage. You might lose your savings or your job. You might lose your health. But that one thing remains. How are you going to respond and, and what attitude are you going to have in the face of it? That's really important for us to remember in a year like 2020. The people who understand this in life thrive. It doesn't mean that they won't have setbacks or disappointments. It just means that they understand that our attitude in life and the perspective that we have makes all the difference in the world. And while things may happen to us that are outside of our control, and Lord knows we've experienced that in recent months, We always get to choose how we're going to respond. And you remember what the Apostle Paul says in his famous short epistle to the Philippians? That powerful epistle that I try to reread every year around Thanksgiving time. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Don't dwell on the negative. Don't dwell on what's wrong. Don't dwell on a a criticism that you received from somebody, uh, an email that really made you upset. Uh, Focus on the good. Focus on the positive. Focus on what's right. Your life will be much better. You'll be much happier and healthier and more fun to be around. If we are full of light, 
then that light will radiate to other people around us. But if we're full of darkness, then that's a problem. And so that means that we have to do self-care. Because to radiate light, we have to take care of ourselves so that we can be in a good place mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have to take care of ourselves, especially in a stressful year like this. Finally this morning, my fourth takeaway from this passage in Matthew 6 is this. It is impossible to worship God and also be obsessed with money. Because when people worship money, that quickly becomes their God. When people only care about status and connections and stuff, that becomes their God. Jesus knew this. He saw this. And so he simply said this. He said, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Why? Because money makes a great servant in life, but it makes a terrible master. Those who live for money and are defined by money simply do not and cannot understand what Jesus is talking about here. And so we hear this and we think, yeah, but, 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 but you don't know what it's like to have to pay a, a mortgage in Nashville and to have to pay bills and, and tuition and a car note and insurance and buy groceries and, and then have anything left over to save. That's not what he's saying here. Everybody has to work hard to live and provide for their family. Everybody has responsibilities. Everybody has bills to pay. Everybody wants to set aside money so that they can retire at a reasonable age. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that if you spend every waking moment worrying about money, obsessing over money, then you are not trusting in God. Because it's simply impossible to serve both God and wealth. You have to choose. And then you know what he says right after this passage? It's where we're going next Sunday, the Sunday before the election. He goes from talking about money and treasures to talking about worry. That famous passage on worry. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus puts these teachings back to back. You remember what he says? He says, tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today, so don't worry about your life. And yet so many of us spend so much time worrying and agonizing over everything under the sun. In Luke's gospel, chapter 12, Jesus tells us a, a parable, a story about a guy that he calls the rich fool. You remember this story? It's a guy whose crops did very well and, and he ran out of space to store his grain. And so he says, well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tear these down and I'm gonna build bigger barns. And then once he does this, he says to his soul, he says, soul, I have ample goods laid up for many years. I can relax, I can eat, drink, and I can be merry. But the problem is, as soon as this guy builds the bigger barns, he dies. And he doesn't get to enjoy it. But do you remember what Jesus said at the very beginning of that parable when he was brought into this family dispute? He says, take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Your life 
does not consist the abundance of possessions. Nobody cares how much money or stuff you have if you're not loving and compassionate and empathetic and generous. Treasures on earth are fine. They are enjoyable. We like them. But if that's all we worship and if that's all we live for, then we will never be satisfied and there will never be room for anything else. Your money talks, but the question is, what does it say about your life and what's important to you? Amen.